What's up, rockers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Instagram at talklouder underscore podcast. And of course, our website, talklouderpodcast.com, where you'll find links to our merch and all of our previous episodes. I'm Metal Dave, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster. And uh, today we're joined by Derek Davis, vocalist Derek Davis. You know him best from uh, the band Babylon AD. Uh, they had a hit in the uh, early 90s with a song called Bango the Bells. I remember that one vividly. Uh, there was a few other tracks, Hammer Swings Down and a couple others that uh, followed. And then there was a follow-up album called Nothing Sacred, I believe, in 92. Um Band took a long hiatus, but Derek stayed very busy in a, in a number of projects. He tells us about those today. Uh, a bunch of varied projects, if I if I say so myself. I mean, he did a, a blues type thing, a southern rock type thing, a soul type thing. Um, so he talks to us a little bit about all of that today. And those are all available, which is great. Those yeah. are things that he's recorded and since released. Whether he they sat on a shelf for a little while or not, he's been um he had the energy to put back into them later on if they you know if they didn't you know see the light of day he made he's made sure of that that everything he's done is available now which i think is really smart and um <clears throat> sounds to me like it's another pandemic story like busy 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 oh damn what am i gonna do you know right. so so you know in the pandemic it's not once you figure out like oh i'm stuck here i, I better use my time wisely it sounds like a lot of musicians did the same thing and uh he's no different i i related with derek quite quite a bit today uh in the stories he told and i'll leave those for listeners and uh people watching to uh to hear in the in the episode we we did with Derek today, yeah. but um, yeah, really cool. Real quick, I saw Babylon AD and you did as well uh, in respective clubs in San Antonio and Austin, and uh, right. they were one of those. I, I I still probably could put them into what I use usually call the class of '89. Yeah. Um, you know, they they probably had got their deal in 88, 87, 88 and in the record, you know, came out in late 89 or or 90. Um, I bet they recorded it in 89 or something and then it came out in 90. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, it was released in 90, so yeah, yeah back okay. up from there. Yeah, so, that sounds that yeah. sounds right. Anyway, super cool guy, very very busy uh calling us uh, in from the Bay Area today. We should um, mention also that uh Babylon AD has a a new a live album out right now. It's called Live Lightning. Um uh, it's a compilation of a couple of gigs that were recorded around 2014 2016 i think he pre-pandemic he had them sitting around yeah and, uh, and uh, so you can look for that that's available now a live album babylon ad it's called live lightning and uh they just signed a deal with frontiers records so they are currently in the process of writing a studio record uh so that'll yeah. be on the horizon here the live records on paris records uh but it, he he did say that you can pretty much get any information and even purchase from babylonad.com, uh, derekdavismusic.com as well. So, and he mentions that again if you didn't get a pen and write it down. But uh, yeah, really cool, really cool guy, man. 
Yeah, I enjoyed it. Derek Davis today on the Talk Louder podcast. Well, welcome. Uh, we're glad you're here and um, looking forward to to hearing your story. What do yeah. you want to do? <laughs> Uh, you, you mentioned the new album. Why don't we just kick it off with that? Tell us a little bit about the new album, uh, where people can find it, any tour plans. Yeah. Um, so the new album started with a phone call from, uh, from, uh, from Paris records, Tom Mathers, and just asked me if I had anything, you know, or if we were doing anything or looking to do a new album or everything. So, uh, it kind of started with a conversation like that because we were in the studio at the time writing new material, you know, rehearsing and shit like that. And uh, so I told him, I said, you know, I do have three gigs that were recorded a couple of years ago, a few years back, you know? And I said, maybe we could put something out and kind of just put the buzz buzz out the Babylon ideas back again, you know, and uh, use that as kind of like a launching bo board for the, for the new album, for the new studio album. So that's kind of like how that came about. And the, the new album's called Live, Live Lightning. Yeah, live lightning. So it's a combination of uh, of uh, a couple different shows. You know, uh, we basically took the best tracks. You know, you know how it is. Sometimes, uh, you know, you might have a great great song, but it sounds like shit. You know, right? You might have, <laughs> you know, one gig that sounds great and another gig that sounds like crap. You know, um, right? So we had to choose from actually three different gigs, and it and nailed down to uh, kind of basically nailed down to two two shows really where they just the track sounded really super good. You know. When so, were they recorded? Uh, one was recorded at uh, in, in Concord at a place called uh, um, Vinny's. Another place was called uh, Swiss Swiss Park Hall in uh, Newark. Those, what what yeah. year? What what time frame? Oh, uh, you're talking about 2018, 2017. You okay. know, COVID hit. You know, I've just had all this shit. The, the wave tracks on my computer since the uh, sound guy gave them to me. And I never really even listened to the tracks until I, you know, I, until I talked to uh, Tom over at the Paris records, you know, and I started listening. I said, wow, shit, man, these things sound good. You know? Yeah. So, uh, so those are fairly recent recordings then. So well, uh, pre pandemic, I mean, that was kind of the last hurrah without us knowing yeah. the last hurrah, I think. Yeah. Not to make it be about me, but I, I released two or three live records that were recorded in like between January and March uh -huh. of 2019. Yeah. Uh, if if not uh, January of 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, luckily had a video crew and, and had them recorded to hard drive. Yeah. That's what I think a lot of people <clears throat> ended up doing. And yeah, it did hold you over, whether you were planning on having that be the, the plan or not. It held right. you over until you, till your next song or your next recording studio, you know. Who's yep. in your band now? Uh, well, everybody's the same players. Um, okay. We're not sure if uh, Jamie, the drummer, is start, is, he might not play with us on, on, on the on the road when we when we hit the uh live stuff just because he's got so many commitments and everything and uh he's 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 just uh he's got a lot of stuff going on right. so we might have a, a another drummer play with us so when we do the live stuff but other than that everybody's the same 
where are you in the writing process? You mentioned this thought live album is sort of a springboard to sort of announce the, that the band is back uh, and then follow it up with a studio record. Where are you in the writing process with that? Uh, well, we've demoed probably about eight songs. And I'd say out of that batch, there's probably four of them that are really super good. You know how it is. You, you think you got something great, then you demo it and you're listening. You're going, you know, that song's really not that great. You know? <laughs> Uh, so that's no, you're, keep, you're, you're keeping it real by by that. That takes experience, doesn't it, for you to be able to 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 listen to your new baby that you just wrote and yeah, you think so highly of it, and then later on you give it a second thought and you're like, uh huh, this it, doesn't need to go out there. You're right, Jason. It, and it's kind of funny because uh, you know you know the process. You're writing the song, you think it's great, you put it down. But if you walk away and you come back about two weeks later and listen to it, then that's when it gives you a really like, hey, wait a minute now. I, I thought that song was good. It's not that good, right? Well, you and yeah, and, 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 and sometimes, and, and, great, and you, you know, yeah, and you know this, sometimes it's, it can be the lyric that, you, you know, you, the singer, are uncomfortable. It's like, what the hell was I thinking? You know, what was Absolutely. I talking about? It could be, <laughs> and it's just not, it's so dirty that you, that you're like, am I going to want to sing this every night? And yeah, if it's so not worth singing funny. every night, then it shouldn't go on the record. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. a lot of young bands don't, don't realize that this actually becomes your process because I remember being a teenager and starting to try to write songs and thinking they were the greatest things in the world. And then thinking back or listening back wow, we actually played that live. We forced, <laughs> we forced people to listen to that, you know, yeah. <laughs> and it hurts. And so you, you know, and, and to finish the thought, it's like, I've had young and old, whatever relative ages, you know, yeah, man, my, me and my band, we wrote a hundred songs, man. We have a hundred songs. I'm like, Wow, that's a lot of work. And, and then I say, let me ask you a question. How many of them are good? Yeah. And and you know exactly where that's going already. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where? What's the timeline on the new album? When oh, might we see it? Yeah, so we're trying to have that out by this time next year, February, March of next year, you know? Yeah. Uh, we wanna, like like we were just talking about, we don't want to put out, put out no turd, so we're right. just making sure that we got the right songs the good thing about it is is i write uh john matthews and ron they both write you know music you know mm -hmm. so they've always got something they they could give me that i can toy around with and kind of put make make a song you know what i mean make it into a song i'll usually have them at least give me like two parts to a song like give me a really cool riff, riff and then maybe maybe the chorus part or maybe they might think it's a chorus but I'm hearing it as a bridge and I'll make something make my own chorus up to it or whatever you know what I mean I always find find that interesting that whenever same process one of my guys will give me what's almost like a complete song it'll have two or three parts yeah <clears throat> And what I'm hearing as a verse, they're calling it the chorus or yeah, the bridge like or something. And like, Absolutely. no, the hook that I want to sing is over this part. So yeah, and they, all the time. I've seen it happen a hundred times and yeah. they go like, what are you doing? That was the verse. And, you know, I'm, tr I'm trying to make it a chorus. And Yeah. 
Well, you know, if you're the lyric writer and you're the you're the guy writing the melody, you know where the strongest part is. You know where it's at, right? It's not really the guitar player that knows the strongest part. You know where it's going to, you know. Right. The- or, or, if, or if the guitar player has a melody, a vocal melody that they're hearing on top, or mm-hmm. just another melody that could be whatever. It could be piano for all I care. But they hear something that's counter, you know, in working joyfully with what they've got underneath it. At that point, it would be good for me to entertain their idea just to say that I did at least to give it something yeah, a yeah, chance. Yeah. yeah, you don't want to shut them out. You know? No, but but at the same time, you know, back to kind of what you were saying, it's like your gut feeling and whatever is the hook that comes to you. Usually the first thing, I, I, for myself anyway, the first thing I come up with, probably just melody before lyric, because uh, I can always sing, you know, Scooby-Doo and yada yeah, yeah. and la-la-la, right? Dummy words until I get the right thing. And that's the first thing, you know, I'll try five things. And it's usually the first thing, that gut feeling that you go back to, I feel like. I, I agree 100% on that. It, right. uh, usually I could tell whenever whenever I'm getting songs, outside songs from, uh, you know, somebody else, the, the music if I don't feel it by the second time I hear the song, I'm just, you know, then you're just working and you're, and it's really right. not, you know, you got to hear it and go, Oh, wow, man, I did that. I, I'm going to work on that. You know, it's interesting yeah. that we're talking about this because when you force it like this exact moment, you just described when you, when you're forcing a vocal thing on top of something just to make, you know, the band happy because they worked hard on that, you know, yeah. two and a half minute jam that they That's gave right. to you to turn into a song with lyrics. And you're like, hmm, next, mm, <laughs> next. <laughs> mm, ne- they can give you a hundred songs and you turn in five and they're like, dude, what about the rest? Let's kill or shoot on there. I was like, yeah. All right. Well, you sing on it then. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not, if it's not inspiring you to, to come up with anything, it shouldn't be work. Yeah. And sure, you can always go back, right? Have you ever felt that way and then gone back and listened to something, gave it a second chance and then felt something on top of it and and actually came out pretty good. That's happened to me. I was wondering. I was going to say it does happen. It does happen from time to time. I'll always give the song like right now I've got three, three songs that are uh, guitar parts and, you know, they'll usually have the the, uh, drum machine, whatever. And maybe they'll lay down the bass, but I got kind of like an idea of what the song's going to be, you know? And if I don't hear it the first time, I'll give it maybe like two or three days later, listen to it again. Then I might give it a, a, a week or something. That's kind of where I'm at right now with three songs. And I hear certain parts like, man, if I could just take this one piece out of this song, just this pre-hook or whatever is really cool. But the rest of the song is, ah, you know what I mean? So sometimes you're just working with one part of a song that's only 15 seconds long what those guys thought was just like a you know an intro piece to something else and you're like no 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 there that's the hook right there you know yeah how is your 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 band's reaction when they i've already said it but when they they work you know they put some time into well you know what's put, really put cool, some, riff, some riffage together for you and then you come back and go yeah i mean about half of that it was workable the other stuff's not really been playing together for so long man that 
that everybody basically trusts my instinct. And it's it's a good mm-hmm. point to know that nobody goes, what the fuck you're talking about, man? That You know, I, I really like, you know, like you said before, well, then you sing the lyrics, man, because I don't hear it, you know? But that <laughs> never happens with us. It really doesn't, man. They basically kind of trust my instincts, you know, of um, if it's going to be any good or not, you know? Do you feel like this is kind of a, this is not like a diss or throwing rocks at anyone who writes music or songs or riffs or lyrics or anything mm-hmm. creates art. But <clears throat> do you feel like a rock and roll song, try to give some parameters here. Uh, do you feel like it should be more about, let's talk, let's call it, let's say, let's just aim for the bullseye, a Babylon AD song. Is it more important about the vocal hook or is it the guitar riff? Um, if if I'm writing, if I know for a fact I'm writing for Babylon AD, because I, I write a lot of different types of songs, man. Sure. You know, uh, especially for, for myself, really. I just, you know, but Babylon AD is like on the train tracks of one, one lane. So you got to stick within those parameters. You got two guitar players that are very distinct guitar players and they, they have a, you know, the different ways of writing songs. One guy uses more uh, minor chords. The other guy uses more major chords. But somehow together when they play it, it works. You know what I mean? And when they give me material, sometimes it sounds really uh, heavy, The you know, big, big A, G, D or whatever. And the other guy's writing this really melodic George Lynch kind of stuff. You know what I mean? So uh, I stay in those parameters. And I'm always thinking like, to be honest with you, I'd say 75% of the time, man, I'm looking for the big hook, the big hammer swings down or whatever, you know, something that's like, okay, that's the hook. Now, if I've got the melody first, like you said, you write the melody first a lot of time, because if you got the good melody, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, you got a, got a good melody. This sounds like it could be singable. Now I got to just shape the lyrics into that. And then I'm looking for the chorus. As soon as I know what the chorus and the song is about, then I write the lyrics around what that is. That, yeah. That's nine times out of ten for me. So you think it's more the the hook of of the chorus, or at least yeah. get you going on on a verse melody before it's the guitar riff. Yeah, I mean sometimes it's it's sometimes the guitar riff is uh it's really not uh it's it's not maybe that catchy, but there's just rhythm guitar like let's say the Scorpions. You know, there's not a lot of licks on the scorpion stuff but it's a lot of chords you know mm-hmm. when you listen to their songs you know that kind of thing um so for me if there's an if there's an extra hook a guitar hook like how we had bangle the bells was just a great guitar lick all by itself if you can get one of those and have it in the song oh yeah, yeah i think i think most people dr- gravitate to the chorus they want to sing you know at least for our generation right right wanna, don't don't bore us get to the chorus <laughs> yeah <laughs> Right. I, like I stole I, I've stolen that, by the way. <laughs> That's, good. That's Stephen Tyler talking. Is that right? Wow. <laughs> yeah, the demon of screaming. Don't bore us. Get to the chorus. Yeah. That's good. You you mentioned Bango the Bells, and, and I remember that song on the radio and the video on MTV. And uh you that your self-titled debut album came out in 1990. So you were like you came out just as the tides were starting to turn. Uh, but you did have some success with that that record and and especially that song. Um, what were some of the most memorable touring moments when you were out and you were sort of on top of the world for that period of time? 
Yeah, it's kind of like a, a rocket ship, right? You know, you you ride that sucker up straight, and then next thing you know, you're like, hey, wait a minute, I think we're coming back down now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know uh, all about. What were some of the peaks for you then? <laughs> well, uh, I think really the peaks for personally for me was things like having like not not speaking about touring, but like having like Clive Davis call me up, and I'm at home. And he says, hey, I want you to come to New York. I want you to sit in on some A&R meetings with me. And I'm like, huh? You know, those kind of things are like my memories of like, wow. And I go, and he flies me to New York. And he did about two or three times where it's like, I'm like an A&R guy. And I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? I'm listening to Jeff Healy songs and fucking, uh, you know, Whitney Houston songs and helping him. And he's asking me instead of the A&R guys. So, Dirk, what do you think about this or whatever, you know? And those kind of memories are, are like really cool to me. You know what I mean? Of yeah. course, you guys know how it is on the road, man. It's fucking half mayhem. You know, <laughs> I mean, at least it was for us. I, have, I mean, every night was like, as soon as we're done with our hour and 15 minute set, it's just mayhem. Yeah. You know? And then you're like, oh, shit, the fucking sun's coming up. What am I going to do? I got to go to bed, man. You know? Yeah. Copious amounts of party materials and nowhere to go. Except yeah, for another hour and 15 the next night. And, you know, as a singer, you're like, oh, shit, man, I got to try to save my voice somehow. And I just drank eight beers tonight and I got, you know, another eight, you know, your voice starts getting hoarser and hoarser and hoarser. Yeah. Pretty, like, man, I need a day off of just doing nothing but drink some tea, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I mean, you guys know, man, it's just uh, it was it was uh, especially back in back in our day when it was really going good. When you're on the bus and every night, as soon as a uh, club's over with, it's like. All right. Uh, only chicks on the bus. That was our rule anyways. We didn't have any guys on the bus because it was 10 of us already. You know what I mean? Including mm -hmm. the bus driver and the road crew and the sound guys. So we didn't need any more guys. So our rule was no dudes on the bus unless you they're got, like emotional you got, guys. You got bigger balls than me. I, did, I don't think I wanted anyone on the bus. <laughs> I was I wanted the bus to myself. I didn't want anyone on the bus. I'm done. I need a moment. You guys fuck off. Yeah. yeah, but but uh, no, I know do, what you mean. That's back when you were in your twenties. I get that. Yeah. Yep. Did you do uh, any any big arena tours as an opening act? Did you go out uh, with the majors? Well, it was the weirdest thing, man. We were signed with the uh, William Morris Agency, and their feeling was we should headline every show, theater, clubs, or whatever. And then if something really big, like we we got we we thought we we were going to do an Aerosmith tour, and it was all wow. next thing I know, we weren't. Why don't we don't know why, but hmm. it was, you know, one of those kind of things. Um, and their whole thing was, and our management, even the record company was like, no, you guys are just going to go out and do theater stuff. And you're going to build it on audience. Like we used to in the old days, you know, this yeah. is what they tell us. And you're going to be the headliner all the time. And so that's what it was for us. We did the theaters and the uh, clubs and things like that, you know, that were big back in the day, you know? Yeah. Um, but we never really, we never really did any uh, Coliseum stuff. We we did one-off gigs and things like that, and we did a lot of festivals and everything like that. But yeah. uh, I don't know if that that uh, whole thing worked, where it was just like we're we're always the headliner. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I think I'd rather go out with a with an Aerosmith or shit, whoever it might be, you know, ACDC, whatever. You know, it doesn't matter who, whoever. You know, I have a lot of I have a lot of friends who uh, who are big fans and. Um, I saw you guys in Austin. Oh yeah, probably ninety. You know, I bet it was ninety. I saw you guys at the back room. Oh yeah, the back room. I remember that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I still got a good memory to remember that name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, think I saw you at uh, Sneakers in San Antonio. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Sound right? That's right. Yeah. 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 That was either probably the night before or the night after Austin. Right. Yeah. right. What yeah. was that yeah. one in Baltimore? Hammer something. Hammer, Hammer Jacks. Jacks. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good venue. Mm hmm. Yeah, we played there quite a few times. So you went prior to 2014, you were on a pretty extended hiatus. Uh, what what were you doing during that time? I know you're a busy guy and you, you're a songwriter and you've worked with other people, but tell us, you know, during that off time from Babylon AD until this recent reactivation, how are you keeping busy? Um, you know, I'm just always writing, man, and always putting out material and stuff like that. I did a, a project with um, Buzzy James and Craig DeFalco and uh, Mike Malone called Moonshine. And we did that at Eddie Van Halen's house, uh, the 5150 Studios. We thought that was going to explode, you know. And Michael Anthony was uh, helping us with everything, producing and things like that. Um, so we kind of thought that was going to – I really did think that was going to be the next big thing for me. You know what I mean? Right, right, but right. you know how, how things go, man. You're, 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 we started playing a lot of big gigs and started, you know, really the momentum started going. And labels started coming out and seeing us, and then we just – boom, just crashed, fell apart, you know? Wow. So I had the tapes and I sat on them for about three or four years. And I called the guys, I go, man, this, everyone that's ever heard the demos loves this shit, you know? So is it cool just to put it out? We'll put it on a, on a small label, label. And they said, fuck yeah, do it. I mean, it's just going to sit in the vault if we don't. But uh, it was like uh, the Allman Brothers meet Leonard Skinner over at Aeros Aerosmith's first two albums house or something. Wow. Really cool, man. Monica, yeah. piano, sly guitar, badass, and really, really cool shit. But, you know, no major label support or anything like that. It was just, we had it sitting around. So that was one of the major things that I did. Yeah. Uh, also, was, I Michael, was Michael Anthony part of this? He was playing bass and... No, he wasn't playing bass. He was basically kind of managing and producing us and stuff. Okay. And all our gigs, he'd show up and play bass. He sang on the record with Jane Child. She sang on the record and played oh, piano. Wow. You know, so I mean, it was it was a pretty cool fucking project, and and Eddie gave us a studio for free, man. Wow. Pay no money or do shit. Wow. So I thought, hey man, this is the next cool step. You know what I mean? Right. But it just uh, the band, you know, it's, people just started fucking. You know how it goes, man. So so did you release it? Is it available? Yes, it's it's out. It's called Moonshine. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, um, I have yeah, to I look for that. That sounds great. It, it is cool, alley. man. You guys would dig it if you like that first Aerosmith album, you know. Oh, yeah. And well, Buzzy, someone player. who doesn't, someone who doesn't like old old Smith is they're dead. They're not watching this show. Yeah, they're not alive <laughs> in the brain. They don't have a heart. They're a zombie. They don't know. <laughs> the Aerosmith albums are fucking up there with the best of, of anything, you know. Sure. Oh, the yeah. first the first four or five. Yeah, you know, yeah. First four or five. Kind of a, a Bible yeah. of them of american rock you know oh yeah absolutely um i saw that you also uh you've done something called uh, uh what is it american blues box is that yeah, right? so, yeah so i put that out um around the same time well, about a year later or something like that as i did the moon because i i play guitar too you know i'm saying you know just like you guys do all that stuff um but uh i was so uh blown away by buzzy's Buzzy James's guitar playing that I said, fuck, I'm going to, I'm going to start learning how to play slide guitar. So I w watched a lot of Elmore James and listened to a lot of Sun House and a lot of, you know, the authentic blues guys. And I, 
I started getting really good, man. You know, a lot of G G tuning and D tuning open and stuff like that. And so I wrote a whole album, but I put that out. And my drummer, uh, Jamie, who, who you know, it's Babylon AD, played on it with me, you know. And then I put another one out a couple of years ago, uh, about a year and a half ago, I put another blues album out called Resonate can they, Blues. Can they get these blues albums from Paris or? No, they're out. They're out. Yeah, on I your play. own label or yeah, apocalypse records what's it called apocalypse, apocalypse records. records apocalypse okay yeah. so, so they're on all digital platforms as well they're on all digital platforms yeah. Right. yeah right and then last year i put out uh or two years ago i put out a really cool album man called the uh, revolutionary soul and yeah. i listened to like a lot of bobby womack and james brown al green marvin gay and i just got into that kind of stack sound kind of you know oh, wow. And I just started, you know, it's almost kind of like a Dan, Dan Reed network a little bit, you know, but maybe less guitar. You know, there's some lead guitar, things like that for the rock and roll guys. But mainly, man, it's it's really a, it, it's a soul album. People that have heard it and the um, the all the critics and stuff like that, that that uh, got magazine coverage for it and stuff like that. They were like blown away, like, holy shit. And I was, too. But the problem was when I put that out. So I guess it was about four years ago now when I put that out. Babylon AD all of a sudden got offered a deal by Frontiers, right? With So I put that out, I think, in March, and then Babylon AD's album came out in November. So I never really had a chance to even promote it because I was busy producing the Babylon AD new album. It was right. basically, throw that record out, and like two weeks later, we get a deal for, with Frontiers, and it's like, oh, shit, I better start working on the Babylon AD album. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, it kind of sucked, man, because that's I, I really do feel like Revolutionary Soul is my best record, but you know well yeah. i want to i want to pick your brain about this w what what would you have done different and how how deep would have you gone for the rest revolutionary soul as far as promotion and shows and and yeah. how, how much time would you have put into it that you would have done different you know hey frontiers i just put out a record hey babylon guys i'm i'm going to do this for x amount of months weeks yeah. That's what I should have did, man. To be honest, well, I'm, with you. I'm, I'm, uh, what do you what do you think goes? In, what would you have done different? It's kind of a lark question, but well, you know, I, I would have tried to promote it more. I would have made some videos or something. I would have, you know, uh, publicity for it and things like that, and let more people know about it. But it's not just, too late. Not too late to do that. Well, the record's five years old. I know it, it isn't it weird. It's like the record's five years old, but if nobody's heard it, what the hell? You could almost like do it again since nobody's Not heard too it late. I, right. during the pandemic i I, re, I released i re i mixed and released an unreleased album uh in the middle of the pandemic that was 20 years old wow it was called godzilla motor company and if you dig it what the hell right i mean well it, the band just like played 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 recorded 17 songs and then broke up and oh, that was 20 years like ago the moonshine thing right yeah. So, so it never, I mean, there was CDRs and people would give us five bucks for a CDR at a show and buy a shirt or you yeah. know, stupid stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And they reveled in it and they loved it. So it was this kind of like yeah, low key cult following of this that got real excited when we put that out in the pandemic because there was no live shows or anything at all, especially from this band that was 20 years old. So, yeah. It's yeah. never too late. I, you know, you can, you can crank something back up that a lot of people, have, if they've never heard it, you know, mm -hmm. 
it's brand new to their ears. Right, right, right. So you mentioned the deal with Frontiers. Uh, so w- was Babylon AD already sort of reactivated and then word got out and then Frontiers came calling? Or did Frontiers come calling out of the blue and that was the incentive to get the band up and running again? No, so we 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 were playing after 2014. We were playing again. We did a couple of you know uh, monsters of rock gigs, and we did some a lot of festivals and stuff like that, and a lot of club one offs, things like that. Um, so we were we were definitely active, and okay. we were writing material. And I think the closer we got to being done with it, it getting to where we were in the starting to get in the mixing stages, I'm not sure exactly how they how they heard about it, but somehow they heard about it and uh i got a an email from from uh one of the guys in the uh the states that's like one of their a and r guys and uh he got a hold of me and said hey i heard you guys are putting a new record out can we hear some of it so uh you know i put together some quick mixes three or four songs i sent it to him they said yeah we want to you know we want to promote this and and, uh sign you guys to a to a deal so we started you know finishing up that record and everything like that and that was like i said the same time i just put out the damn revolutionary soul yeah you know <laughs> timing timing time um, so is the deal with frontiers is it a is it a multi-record deal or are you just starting with the one and we'll see how it goes oh so 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 we put that out and uh we did four videos for it uh but you know frontiers man they got 100 bands you know yeah, You're, yeah. You, they may give you three weeks or four weeks man you know, and it's not it's not the same as it was back in the day when 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 radio was supporting this kind of stuff and everything like that. Yeah, it's it's still an independent release and it's usually a one album deal. If it does really, really well, they're going to want to renegotiate, of course. That's how that yeah, goes. Exactly. But um, but yeah, it's it's nice to and I'll, uh, this sounds kind of crappy of me to say, but it's always nice when you're a band that's been kind of like somewhat inactive you know and then all of a sudden you know or hell you're busy just doing multiple things and then somebody wants to give you the money to make a record using someone else's money out of the blue to do (laughs) to do something is kind of cool yeah it's cool especially when you get the advance and and you're like oh right good at least i got the money you know yeah and and with home recording now you know that that because like you i don't even have to say it the the deals that you got back in the day do not exist anymore so so whatever measly you know two three grand if you're even lucky these days i'll say from my experience to uh you know get files together because you can record it in your bedroom i record worldwide releases sitting in this chair wow because you can sit in this chair right see same 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 and it doesn't cost you anything so just your time microphone can you produce a wave file you can make a record yeah yeah dig it man i'm in here all the time i'm like all the time it sounds like you your ass is glued to the chair in there I got actually three stools. I got to jump around, bounce around. If I'm playing guitar, I got to get out of this one because it's got this. Well, what I'm saying is it sounds like you're what I like to call busy enough. You're like when people, Jason, how you doing, man? What are you working on? Well, I call it busy enough. Uh-huh. If I weren't any busier, I would have to stop doing a bunch of stuff that I like what I'm doing right now. I'd have to stop and go kind of like what you had to do. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm busy enough. If something crazy happens, Dave gets a phone call. 
<laughs> sorry, we can't. Sorry, we can't tape the podcast anymore. I've got to leave town. You know. Yeah, yeah. He's he's off to front accept or something like that. So weird, weird things happen. Yeah. Um. So you've got a a, a Babylon AD album in the works currently. So what do you, as a vocalist at age whatever you are today, what do you? I like that. Do, yeah, I'm gonna. Well, I we're feel probably like I'm 35 myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we all we all, we all feel great the same. for 21. But what do you, as a as a lyricist and and a musician, what what do you want Babylon AD to say in 2024 versus what you were, you know, what was fodder for songs in 1990? This is a great question. Ooh, that's well, that's kind of a tough question too, because uh, you know, you're kind of pigeonholed a little bit because of your fans, right? They're expecting what right. they want to hear. But at the same time, I know, man, I'm a, I'm a way better lyricist and way better singer than I was then. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It, it's obvious when I write, when I write a song and when I sing a, sing a track, it takes me just, you know, two or three takes maybe to sing a track and I'm done in about 20 minutes. It used to take me a fucking half, half a day to sing a song back in the day. You know, right. just because you want your pitch perfect and you want a little raspiness here or whatever, you know, you know what you're looking for in your head or you're working with a producer that doesn't have the headphones right. And you're like, geez, man. But when you have your own recording studio and everything like that, it's a lot easier, you know, because you figure everything out. You're like, OK, this all I do is just press the button and I'm good every time. Well, you um, know better than anyone else what the fuck you're supposed to sound like. Exactly. That's that's exactly it. It might man. take a it might take a whole career for you to figure out how to do it on your own with no one else in the room. I mean, it takes a long time to be honest with you. Yeah. Myself, but I'm now I got, that, I got that shit down. You yeah, know what I mean? Me too. Yeah. I, I like I like your your answer. I like the idea that uh, that you recognize that to a degree you have to sort of deliver what the fans are expecting from all yeah. the way back in 1990. What I don't like is is when they expect you. You know, it's 2024 and you've got a gig and they 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 just watched your video from 1989 and they're going to the show and they're going, when are, when are the guys in Babylon ID going to walk out and take the stage? John says Babylon ID on the wall, Babylon ID on the wall out there, but who the fuck are these guys? When you don't look like you, you did, that's one thing. And then the other thing is like your, your newer material, if you have new material, the and this goes to Dave's question. I'm just kind of, I'm holding both of you guys to it, the question and the answer, because I know, I feel this. I know exactly like the things that you wrote about when you were 22 yeah. at your, mm-hmm. now you're 21. Yeah. Sorry. You're, you're, I know you you've got some years on you now. I'll just say, yeah. we don't know how old you are. So uh, yeah. Do you feel Dave's question was, do you feel comfortable writing about, you know, I don't. So I don't put any lyrics in there like or like, yeah, she's so high with the black, you know, stockings and blah, blah. You know, I don't write that kind of shit no more. You know what I mean? I'm not going to pretend that like I'm 20 years old anymore. The lyric lyrical content, uh, um, it's still kick ass. in my mind. I always try to make it like kick ass kind of lyric, you know, that that uh, I don't know, man, it's just uh like okay, so for instance, there's a the titles of our, some of the songs I think that are are really cool that we're going to be on the record. There's one called Wrecking Machine, and it's a badass tune. Uh, 
There's one called Sucker For Me, which is a really cool groove, groove and uh, hammer swings down kind of song. And then we've got one called Looking For A Heartbeat. And I'd say Looking For A Heartbeat is the, the track that would be the most, the most, uh, you know, singing about a girl in love and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Looking for a heartbeat, baby. But, you know, that I like, I like the, I like the take on the heartbeat because, you know, uh, it, it's a throwback in a way because when you're, when you're young and dumb and looking to fuck anything, yeah. all you need is a heartbeat. And he's all fuck anything with a heartbeat. That's what it kind of sounds like on the surface, but your lyric, because of where you are, I mean, you're a fucking grown ass man. We're grown ass men now. And I know that, that we can't write about, you know, chasing you know, ass. You know, I don't Jason, write about chasing ass. Yeah. You know? I don't really write about that anymore either. Yeah, you know? It's not write, your write libido. You, you have a libido. I'm lucky to have one, but it's not really the premise of my music no no as to where yeah. you know when you're young and dumb that's kind of what you know, one track minds seem to rule so you know i have heard some bands uh in the last few years i'm not going to say who but they when i'm listening to their lyrics and they're you know they got a brand new album out let's just say and you're like oh yeah. well, listen to that you're like What's he talking about? He's singing like he's talking like he's 16 years old still or something. I, you yeah. know, this guy's as old as me. This is corny. To me, it's fucking corny as shit. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm okay, talking so about. This is yeah. this is exactly why I asked. And I yeah. I, I asked not only uh, from from the perspective of age and wisdom and maturity, but also your other vocal influences, because you just got done telling us about Moonshine, American uh, Blues Box, and then you've got this soul record. So I would imagine that's another a different vocal approach. So not only then it does age and maturity sort of factor in, but maybe some of your other vocal approaches factor in as well. And that's kind of where I was going with that question. Yeah, yeah. It, absolutely. You, you hit that right on the head. Ben. It, it's almost like when you're, when you're young back then and you're young and dumb and crazy, you know, and don't know shit and you're, it's you against the world. Mm -hmm. you, it's not your fault, you know, tell, and tell you, you can go crazy and you can sing about being crazy, but you better be careful if that's like a huge hit that sells millions and millions of records because you're going to sing about chasing ass for the rest of your life. Well, well, that's so funny that you say that because we had a song on our second album. It was called Psychedelic Sex Reaction that I wrote with, um, uh, who did I write that? With Randy Jackson and, and, and uh, Jack Pawnee. And I hated the fucking title and the lyrics, right? Psychedelic sex reaction. Dun, 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 you know what I mean? The music was really cool, you know, but the lyrics were just so corny. And I had to write the fucking lyrics with the A&R guy in the fucking room because he wanted it so, you know, so poppy and so this. And, and I, it was the weirdest experience I ever had, man, writing lyrics because it's like they weren't even really my lyrics. I would just say, how about this line? And you go, oh, that's a good line. And I'm scratching my head. I'm talking like for a couple of days, man. And this did you, was did you day. fly? Did you fly out to Tom's River, New Jersey, to do that at Jack's place? Uh, other songs I did with Jack. Okay, but yeah, let me I've, I've written that at Jack's place before. Yeah, let, let me no. finish this real quick. Yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. Fucking song. He loved this song, Psychedelic Sex Reaction. Yeah. <laughs> we go out on the road, and they made these boxes with all these. You know, the record company made up all these boxes for promo with 
uh, psychedelic rubbers in them and all kinds of how to have sex and all this shit. And they sent it to all the radio stations, right? And we're in Chicago at the Thirsty Whale, I think it was. And fucking uh, our manager comes on the bus and he goes, you guys are going to, you guys, the, all, the record company spent like $100,000. to. to it, it, this is like the day of the show, he tells us this. And, and we have all these record company uh, and radio station guys coming out, flew, flew out from all over the country. They're going to watch you guys play psychedelic sex reaction. And we all look at each other and went like, what the fuck? <laughs> because we recorded the song just because Clive Davis told me, if you don't record this song, I ain't putting out your record. He literally told me that, you know? <laughs> So, but, but the guys in the band, when we record the song, we, we put our hands in a pot and we all go, we vow we will never play this song live ever. And we're just like eight months later, we're out on the road and they tell us, this is your next single. We got a video treatment coming. And we're like, what? So, we hadn't played the song except for the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the making the record, you know, um, in the studio. And we got on stage and we didn't play the song. We said, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, that was like one of the biggest mistakes we ever made. Because after that, the record company said, "Fuck you guys in the bus. You guys are in a Winnebago." <laughs> wow, that is a great story. That's yeah, a great. That's, story. that's kind of punk rock. That's hilarious. So, so if I may, and I once I, I apologize for interrupting your answer because obviously it was fueled. So, yeah. so the song that me and Mike Watson from the Toys went to Jersey and wrote with Jack Ponty. Uh-huh. was Gypsy Black and Blue Valentine on the second Toys record. Uh-huh. And there's so many people that love that song. Yeah, a lot of we people were, love that We song. were pretty much forced to put that song on the record. And we also had maybe <clears throat> played it once in rehearsal, and we were all kind of like, had the like who farted look on our face. While we're, <laughs> exactly. And and we we all, we same same thing, Derek. We, we just vowed to never play it live. And every once in a while, there's a hardcore fan that loves that, that, that yeah. asks for it. And you just can't, yeah. you know, it's like, I don't know the lyrics to that anymore. Yeah, I don't want to know the lyrics to that. We recorded it and split, you know, it was kind of like, God damn it. <laughs> so yes. I feel, I feel your pain. Sometimes you find yourself doing those things and you know how you said, uh, the record label spent like a hundred grand in promo stuff. And it wasn't even like the vibe of the band at all. No, it was kind of off your radar by choice. And they show up and going, all right, this is going to be great. Yeah. And you were fuck you and they were fuck you. And, and, and that's, that's a hundred grand that you didn't have any say. So at all, we in really where they were going to spend it. Right. Yeah. We really paid for it. Right. Right. That's uh, hilarious. Really that's scary. Yeah, that, really that. scary reality and a huge lesson for us all. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great story, man. That was I can relate, dude. Hilarious. There's a lot of there's a lot of sort of parallels in in what you're talking about it's today. It's kind of like Spinal Tap out there, right? Yeah, I mean, so many moments <laughs> that I could remember for Spinal Tap, you know, it, or maybe getting on stage, going like, "Hey, how the fuck you doing, Houston?" Everybody goes. What the fuck? You're in Dallas, you dumb shit. Oh, oh sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's okay. You know, you're just going like a fucking rabbit, you know? Yeah. Just, yeah. You know, that shouldn't I, hurt anybody's feelings by calling them, <laughs> hey, Houston, and you're in, you know, Nova Scotia. Yeah, right. 
I think this is all very interesting, the, the perspective, because, you know, when you're 20 years old and you get into this, you think it's going to last forever and you really only worry about the current album and the next album. You don't imagine yourself being 60 years old, sing, singing about chasing girls or that sort of thing. And then lo and behold, it happens and you have to live with it. And, yeah. you know, we, we had Tracy Guns on the show recently and he was he was joking that, you know, it's almost sometimes embarrassing to have to get on stage and play sex action at his age. And then yeah. Jason's like <laughs> over there going, yeah, well, what about me? I got to sing Sport in a Woody, you know, <laughs> and these two guys never imagined that they would still be doing these songs all these years later, you know. I think what would have been with, with the worst was like I talked to Janie one time and he and he hated fucking what was that? Uh, cherry cherry pie. pie. Yeah. You know, yeah. That, that would have been the worst. Can you imagine being right now? Yeah, she's my cherry pie. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, the version of Warrant that's out there now still has to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's exactly hitting home to what we're talking about here. So, yeah. Derek, tell it's us okay. how, how did you get hooked on rock and roll? What was the record, the concert, the moment you saw someone on TV and said, that's what I want to do for a living? I think I was about maybe nine or 10 years old or what? Well, no, I think I was about, well, I started playing drums when I was 11, but the monkeys, when I seen fucking um, Mickey Dolan's singing and playing drums, I go, I want to be just like that guy. Wow. Plus I knew about the Beatles and the Stones, but for some reason, man, I wanted to be like Mickey Dolan's. And you know, the funny thing is, is I met that guy and hung out with him a couple of times in my life. And it was like, wow, man, I'm hanging out with Mickey Dolan's, you know, and all the stories you heard about him, like in the sixties and stuff like that, whenever everybody was hanging out with him, you know, uh, his place at what was in the Canyon when all the parties were at his house and everything like that. I don't know, man. I just thought he was the coolest dude. So of course I started playing drums and I wanted to sing. And then, uh, soon as I found out that the money was made by writing songs, I was like, fuck that. I'm gonna learn how to write songs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Instead of just playing drums, I said, I'll switch over to guitar and I'll be the front man. You know, these are just things you, you go through when you're a kid, right? Right. right. Of course. Yeah, um, it's, it's interesting when you when you figure out, and it sounds like you figured it out fairly early enough that you can't write, really write a melody, can't write a song on a drum kit. Mm -hmm. You can write a groove on a drum kit that can influence the guitar player to play something with the phrasing that the drummer's got yeah. singer same keys whatever same but that's influencing the rhythm patterns and phrasing of where the song is going to go and the accents maybe that the drums are actually creating but you would have to have some kind of you know really good tuning etiquette on your drum kit to play notes and go check this riff out to get to get to get to but about 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 you know has to be notes and drums aren't really notes right they're tones they're rung they're rung tones right ring tones kind of a thing so when when people realize that and and it people can agree to disagree with what i'm talking about here but i feel like you're a songwriter and you kind of understood that early is like i want to learn how to write a song you said it yourself yeah, absolutely but you know songs have drums some songs don't have drums okay you're a drummer what if there's a song that you're writing that you go what if, would this sound like without drums 
Well, hey, and the drummer goes, hey, wait a minute. I'm the drummer. What do you mean? <laughs> what am I going to do during the song? You know, that's see what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay, drummer, write a song. Let's talk about Neil Peart. Neil Peart wrote all the lyrics for Rush. What a Day talent. one, joined the band, started writing lyrics. How crazy is that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that uh, I think you're the first guy we've had on the show that cited Mickey Dolenz as as uh, your first inspiration. It, it is, but I think it's cool as shit. I, I do too. We and get a lot of people that go, you know, Kiss Alive. That's that yeah. was the gateway, or we saw Kiss on the Halloween special on TV, and that was it. Uh, well, you're the first guy that um, that's mentioned the monkeys. I think well, that's really cool. Well, wasn't Mickey Dolenz, and I could, it could be another monkey, but. Was it was it Mickey Dolenz who was in um, the uh, uh, the original Hollywood Vampires, which is yeah. basically a drinking club? That's yes. right. That's Captain right. Rainbow. I think Mickey Dolenz was actually in that original drinking club. Yes, he was. The funny thing is when whenever the monkeys, I I used to live with my grandmother when I was a kid. So when the monkeys came on the on stage or on on the scene, you know, whatever it was sixty six or sixty seven, whatever the hell that was. Uh, my grandmother goes, oh, I know that boy. And I go, you do? She goes, he used to be on a show called Circus Boy. He was, he was a little kid whoa, in like this whoa. circus. It was a TV show. And he was about okay. 10, 10 years old, Mickey Dolenz, you know? Wow. And, him. and that always stuck with me my whole life, you know? Wow. He, was, he, was, he was already like a childhood kind of star on TV. You know, he wasn't yeah. a great drummer, a great musician. He just a good actor. Right. Aren't they you from, isn't your band from the Bay Area? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you still live in Northern California? Yes. Yep. Everybody does. Yeah. Were you, were you kind of um, a heavy metal punk going down to the shows and all that stuff in the early 80s when, when all of the big thrash scene was happening down there? No. Were you um, going down there and seeing, you know, Y&T and. Oh, and, I seen. Oh, I, I, I was. I I was uh, definitely a Y&T fan. That's okay. when I was in high school. And I, I be honest with you, I think uh, seeing Dave Medichetti and Y&T when I was in high school, uh, when I was a uh, a freshman, they came at at uh, lunchtime and they just released their first album. Yesterday and today, yeah, yeah, yesterday and today. Yep. And uh, man, it, you know that was a that's a still one of my favorite albums. This fucking kick ass album, you know. Yeah. Um, and as soon as I seen that, I you know. I was like, wow. I mean, I was playing guitar and I was starting to get pretty good and everybody was starting to recognize like, hey, you know, I'm writing songs and even seventh, and eighth, ninth grade stuff. But when I seen them, I was like, wow, man, it just blew blew my world away where I would just like study. And then I started going to see Y&T whenever I can. And they played a lot of concert halls around here, veterans halls and things like that. You know, yeah. they're really big. I mean, they're playing with Journey and shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, yeah. And then next thing I know, I started like roadieing for these guys and stuff like that, you know? Wow. So I started started kind of like that in the rock scene, you know? So, so I want to back up. Did you say they showed up and played at your school during lunchtime? Yep. Wow. Unreal. That's I, awesome. And yeah. this, is, this is with oh. uh, Leonard Hayes on drums, <laughs> and Joey, Joey Alves on guitar, and Phil Kennemore, the original yep. band. Yeah. The original band, man, and they That's were sick. fucking badass. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, and you, as years go by, you start knowing those guys, and I became a really good friend with uh, Leonard, you know, and, man, the stories Leonard had, oh, my God. That guy could have wrote, like, three books, and you, you could have made a movie about his life. He was he, taken, he was he taken too soon. Way too soon, yeah. you know? But, yeah. uh, 
crazy dude. Uh, right before he passed, uh, maybe about a year before he passed, he wanted me to join his band. But I got to be honest with you, man, it was just so sad watching the dem his demise, you know, how yeah. he just kept getting sicker and sicker and he'd had to have oxygen when he's playing and stuff. Oh, and he wasn't the same Leonard anymore, man. But right. I, I tell you, man, when he was when he was younger, when when yesterday and today was was kicking ass, he was I I'd put him against Bonham or any of the best drummers in the world. Oh, when he, oh that guy's yeah, putting easy. fast, man. Yeah, he had the he had the quickest right foot I had ever heard. Uh, oh. Besides besides Bonham, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, wow. my old band covered some old Y and T. Anyway, uh, amazing drummer. That's amazing that you got to uh, spend time and be part of the the up and coming or yesterday and today uh, Bay Area rock scene. Was there any other bands that in your youth that you used to kind of follow that were from your stomping grounds? Uh, there was a band called, uh, next. That was pretty good. Um, Eric Martin band, they were called four one five, you know, okay. really wasn't following them, but they played a lot of gigs that I went to, you know, and I liked Eric Martin's voice, you know, are you talking uh, Mr. Big Eric Martin? Yeah. 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 He, we just, yeah. we just saw him in Nashville. We just did a thing in Nashville and he was a big yeah. player in that. Yeah, the we just thing we were doing with, uh, Michael Shankner about, about a month ago or so. Oh, cool. Sacramento. Wow. Michael Shankner was on fire, man. I got to tell you, man. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. Sounds great. That new singer that he's got. Boy, that guy can sing. Yeah, that guy's amazing. I think he's uh, Chilean, South American. Yeah, I can't something remember. like that. Yeah. Yeah, he can sing, man. Oh, he's a, yeah, he's amazing. Who's yeah. he have singing with him now? I can't remember the cat's name. I remember his name either, but I was surprised because he's the best singer that I've seen Michael Shankner have in a while. Yeah, wow. he's a he's classic rock. He has some grit, you know, but he has excellent control. But he's like a he's like a Graham Bonnet and a Gary Barden rolled into one. Wow, yeah. this yeah. isn't that this isn't that guy Doogie something or other, is nope. it? No, no, okay. Doogie White, no. Okay, is that who you're thinking about? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah no, this is uh, a younger cat. Derek, I saw something on your bio. I think uh, you have a side project called the Heavy 470s or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what me and Danny De La Rosa, who was in Babylon AD for, you know, 30 years or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, and then we got the drummer, uh, uh, Marty Shuhart, used to play with Greg Ken for about 11 years, and uh, Ben Wong used to play with Montrose for a couple of years. And so it was just one of these kind of things where uh, coming out of COVID, uh, none of us were doing anything. And so I said, why don't we fucking put together a band of just shit we like, but we don't want to be a cover band. You know what I mean? And, and everyone around here in our, in the Bay area right now, it, the, the shit that's big is tribute bands. Mm. It's almost like you can't get a fucking show unless you're a tribute band. Right. So I said, okay. What, what if we put together a band, find a cool name, but we only play like Montrose, Aerosmith, Thin Lizzy, UFO, and that's it. Cause that's the shit that we all grew up on and, or have, you know, really that's our, that's my bread and Where butter. Where do I sign up? Yeah. So it was like, this is the shit that I, that I liked when I was a kid. Let's just do that. And that's it. And we'll be called the heavy four seventies. There's four band, four guys in a band, four fucking groups. And that's it. And we've been leaving a mark, man. There's a lot of people nice. coming up all our shows now and it's we could be kind of considered a tribute band. Sure. Yeah. Do you ever, do you ever, have you ever seen the butlers? Uh, yes, I have seen the butlers. Yeah, they're really good. Yeah, because uh, they're they're out there. They're your neighbors. Yeah. 
play some of the same same joints that we play. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And they kind of have that same vibe. They do some. They do Lizzie and Aerosmith and stuff. Yeah, like that. and we're just keeping it to four bands, though. You know, we're not sure. I mean, oh, okay. We talked about maybe doing some Kiss or maybe doing. We did. We did a couple songs of Cheap Trick at the last gig just to see what would happen. And people were like, "Oh, this is great!" But we don't really want to get into where we're just another cover band. You right. got to keep some kind of shtick where this is this is what you are. You know what I mean? Right. right. But now we've got like a, um, the Bone Radio Station out here. They're behind us on our gigs now, you know, so that's good. Like, and they, they had heard of us, you know, I got a phone call from the, uh, from uh, the program director last week and I did an interview with them and they were like, you're in the heavy four seventies. I said, yeah, man, everybody's been talking about you guys. I said, oh, really? So they're like, uh, well, we want to start promoting all your shows. I said, okay, nice. cool. So we've got some shows that they're promoting. They're promoting some Babylon AD stuff when we come out um, in July. Um, so it's good to have a, rec a radio station behind you. You know, if you got that, they're still playing classic rock, yeah. but they have about, I think it's 20% of their playlist now. Uh, they can play other music. So they've been playing Babylon AD. They've been playing other bands, Death Angel, maybe stuff like that. Yeah. Along with Journey, Led Zeppelin, you know, yeah, classics. So, yeah. Wow. That's awesome, man. You are a busy dude. Yeah, it sounds like you've got a got a good a good uh, uh, life carved out there. That's uh, you. You sound to use my term busy enough. You sound yeah. like you're handling it. Totally, totally busy enough, man. I'm having awesome. a good time, and uh, you know, it, I can't believe that I'm still doing it. To be honest with you, all these years, man. You know, it, and it seems what's weird to me is like it gets better. Yeah, you yeah, know, I know what you mean. Yeah, well, some of some of that probably comes from the the wisdom that I was talking about earlier. You're approaching it differently and more maturely now, and and so yeah, it's going to be better because you know how to make it easier, maybe for yourself. You know how to you've learned some lessons. You know the pitfalls to avoid. So yeah, it makes sense that it would. If you learned anything from all that, then it makes sense that today you would be. I know guys that are around our age that they didn't learn shit. Yeah, they're hurting right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you're not one of them. It sounds they're not like hanging any moons. They're yeah. not shooting the moon. They're not aiming at the moon. Uh, they're going to bed early, you know. <laughs> Well, Derek, it uh, sounds like you're really busy, and, uh, yeah. and and we appreciate you spending some time with us today, and 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 sharing your stories and Thank telling you. us about all of your all of your musical projects. Uh, people can look for a new uh, Babylon AD record sometime in the future. Live Lightning, yes, the live album, Babylon AD live album is called Live Lightning. You can get that now. Uh, new studio album on the way in the in the future. Um, and of course, all of uh, Derek's other uh, music, American Blues Box, uh, Moonshine, and your, what was your soul project? Revolutionary Soul. Revolutionary Soul. Covering a lot of a, bases. Derek, Derek, do you have a, a website that people can go to that's sort of an umbrella? DerekDavisMusic.com or they can go to BabylonAD.com. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, man, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. On behalf of my co-host, Jason McMaster, I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with our special guest today, Derek Davis from Babylon AD on the Talk Louder podcast.